First Chronicles chapter number four. Let's get into the preaching before I say something more stupid than I've already said. First Chronicles chapter number four. It says in verse number nine, and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. I have yet, this will be the first time that I preached on the prayer of Jabez, but that's exactly what I would like to do by the help of the Holy Spirit, talk to you this morning about the prayer of Jabez. Let's go to the Lord and ask his blessings. Father, thank you for the good singing this morning, the good special by the men, and Lord, just the good congregational singing. What a, what a joy, what an encouragement. I know that it spoke to my heart to be able to sing about how you save, and uh, the wonderful love that you have towards us. And uh, Father, I certainly hope that each and every one of us experience that joy as we sang. I pray now that you'd bless this time of preaching. We pray for everyone that's listening, whether they're in this building or somewhere out there listening and watching through live stream, Uh, even those that would be watching later on. We pray a special blessing on the hearers. Open up hearts and minds and help us to faithfully minister the Word of God. And uh, Lord, just bless it and use it in people's hearts. Bring someone to Christ as a result of this message. Uh, Lord, take a, a discouraged believer and, uh, and just uh, help us, Father, to get our heart right and our eyes upon Christ. We ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. The prayer of Jabez was a Christian fad in the late 90s and early 2000s. And the book and the series of messages that were very popular among Christendom at that time, I would probably put those under the category of prosperity gospel theology. What I mean by prosperity gospel, it's this ideology that if you will just believe in Jesus, or if you're a Christian, then God is almost like that genie in the bottle. Like just, you know, say something or do something, go to church, and it's like rubbing the bottle, and poof, out comes God, and He grants you your wishes. And so this fad of the prayer of Jabez, I would see big banners in churches during that time, and the books and messages, and seems like it was really a popular thing. And you know what, folks? There are Christian fads that come and go. I've seen so many of them in just my short time. I've been serving the Lord for, I guess, 34 years now. I've been in full-time ministry for most of those years, and I've seen so many things come and go. And as a general rule, I'd like to just warn you that when something gets extremely popular I'm not saying it's always going to be wrong or something bad about it, but if something just gets overwhelmingly popular, take a step back and say, "I I better take a close look at this and make sure that it's scriptural. 
Because our human nature, our human hearts, according to Jeremiah 17.9, are extremely prone to deception. And when something is popular, it's as a general rule, it's probably not going to be true. And so always look for just the little bit of leaven in that lump that could indeed create more problems than it solves. I've seen these type, types of fads. Here's an example that uh, in more recent times that I've seen a verse that has become extremely popular, and everyone that I know of, this is without any exception, and uh, I, I would say that I can probably count these cases on more than, more than two hands, I've yet to find someone who made this verse the most important thing in their life. I've yet to see them actually continue on with the Lord. It just seems like that the, everyone that's claimed this verse has been a flash in the pan. What verse am I talking about? Jeremiah 29, verse number 11, where the Bible says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord... Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now, I want to say personally and publicly, I love this verse. Because I I love the God who is speaking here in this verse. And this the God who's speaking here, the God of Israel, the same God that Jabez is praying to, is a God who loves us and He wants his blessings and his goodness to be bestowed upon us. And so this is a a wonderful passage of Scripture. But I also need to, we, we need to recognize the fact that this verse in Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is not specifically written to us or about us. If you'll read the context, what's going on is the children of Israel have been excuse me, have been suffering God's chastisement. Just as God promised them, he said, if you turn your back on me, I'm going to sell you into captivity to your enemies. So Israel has spent 70 years in the Babylonian captivity. And under Jeremiah's prophecy, Jeremiah is telling them that, look, God's going to bring you back to the land. He's going to restore you. And these are the things that through Jeremiah, God is communicating to Israel. He's letting them know that even though you've messed up, even though you uh, have these skeletons in your closet, even though you blew it big time, you have paid the price, I'm bringing you back, and I want you to know that I'm not against you, I'm for you. But the doctrinal setting is literally to Israel at the end. Now, there is nothing wrong with making a personal, private application of that verse because it's the same God that's speaking. But we need to be careful when we use the Scripture that we certainly understand what it's literally saying because you can misapply just like the prosperity gospel does. Prosperity gospel will give you all kinds of Bible verses, but the problem is, is 90% of those verses is not even talking to the church, it's talking to Israel. And Israel was under a certain covenant where God gave them specific commandments, and He said, if you'll do these, I'll bless you. 
if you turn your back on me and my commandments, I'm, you're going to have a curse. Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus, I'm wanting to say Leviticus 9. I, I may be misquoting that, but these are passages in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant that God made with Israel, and we are not Israel. We are the church. We are a bunch of Gentiles that God saved by His grace after Israel rejected their Messiah. Call it what you want. That's the absolute facts right there. And so we've got to be careful that we don't misapply the Scripture because there is so much that this the problem with the fad theology that I've been talking about is that at the root of it, all of these things that become so popular among Christianity, they expose a really bad heart motive. The motive is that people want a God who, he revolves around me. I'm, I'm just, I'm so special and I'm so important in his eyes. I'm not saying we're not important or special. I'm not minimizing his love for us. But listen, folks, we've got to stay humble and we've got to understand that we are saved by grace. That is unmerited favor. And we need to be thankful and we need to be humble and recognize that we're supposed to be revolving around God, not expecting Him to revolve around us. When He saved us, we were on our way to hell and we deserved it. And when He when He paid the price and He took the punishment for our sins on Calvary's cross, we ought to be so thankful, but we ought to say, Lord, thank You for saving me. Here I am. What would thou have me to do? Just like the Apostle Paul said, I am here to be your servant, Lord, because you saved me and you didn't have to. That is a biblical mentality that we need to get back to that has been lost through all of this uh, popular fad theology that has inundated the church. Now, just because there's counterfeits out there, I don't know if you've ever been uh, been slipped a counterfeit piece of money before. I, I know several of you here in the church have. Just because you got slipped a counterfeit, that doesn't mean that you should burn all your cash. That, that would be kind of dumb, wouldn't it? So just because there's been people out there that have counterfeited the prayer of Jabez and made it something that it's not, that doesn't mean that there isn't some really, really rich truth to be found in this passage of Scripture that uh, we are preaching from here today. Now, this man, Jabez, the Lord reveals so very little about this noteworthy man. Here's what we do know. His name means sorrow. Uh, We do know that he believed in prayer. And we also know that he understood a thing or two about prayer. Now, here's what we can speculate. We can speculate that his father or his mother died during his childbirth. Uh, We see here that his mother named him. Now, that is not common for a Jewish mama to be naming their their sons. Typically, the dad was the one that did the naming. You remember the Christmas story about John the Baptist and and his uh, Zacharias and... uh, Zacharias wanted to name him something different and so forth. It's typically the dad's responsibility to name the sons. 
But there are exceptions. If you'll recall when, um, when uh, Rachel was passing away, that uh, she said something about uh, Benjamin and so forth. So we don't know if it was daddy that died in the infancy or before perhaps maybe Jabez was born or perhaps maybe mama died. All we know is that the Holy Spirit reveals this and because of that, Jabez was named Sorrow. Uh, That was what his name meant. I would have to say that it probably had something to do with the life that he was going to live. Now, let me say this as a side note to you parents. I know I do that from time to time. Raising children, let me say this, that one of the worst things that you can do is overindulge your children. Some of the best Christian men and women are the ones that had to go through some rough times growing up. Sorrow, challenges, setbacks. You know, some of the best, the best men that I've ever known was people in the, my dad and my grandparents' generation, people who grew up in the Great Depression, who fought in World War II, who had honor, who had nobility, who had ethics and integrity and character. These were some of the, these were people who went through what we would consider extreme hardship today. And yet in America, the Great Depression wouldn't even hold a candle to some of the famines that took place in the history of the nation of Israel. And so, listen, don't overindulge your children. Because it will not help their character. It will not help their walk with God. Doesn't mean you have to go around and just purposely making everything rough on them. But just be mindful that more is not better. Look at America today. Uh, Is America better than what we were several generations ago? Absolutely not. Progressivism is false. It's not, we're not progressing. In all the areas in life that matter the most, we are, we are declining almost in a free fall state. But socially, economically, all of the different things, the conveniences that we have, the, the comfort that we have, it just keeps going up and up and up the standard of living, if our grandparents saw our standard of living today, and I'm talking about those that that we would be considered middle to low class, they would just go, wow, that's amazing that you get to do those things and you have all of that. There, there were people that went through the Great Depression that didn't even know there was a Great Depression because that's all that they knew. And so, listen... Just because you go through some tough times like Jabez did doesn't mean that you're not going to come out better in the long run. Now, his name meant sorrow. He believed in prayer. He understood prayer. Uh, possible that his father or mother died in his birth. We know that he was of the tribe of Judah. And the only other reference between, between besides these two verses that we just read we find the word Jabez mentioned in 1 Chronicles 2 and verse 55. And it's in reference to a city. 
we can speculate that this city ended up being called by the name of Jabez, but listen, that is strictly speculation. It says in that verse, and the families of the scribes which dwelt at Jabez, of course a scribe is a Bible student, people who copy the Bible and study the Bible. It says, and the Tirathites and the Shimeathites and the Sukathites, these are the Kenites that came of Hemath, the father of the house of Rechab. Now, we know about the house of Rechab. You talk about an honorable house. God blessed the Rechabites. And if you've read the book of Jeremiah, you know that God blessed the Rechabites because their father told them, I don't want you to ever drink wine or, or any alcohol. And you know what they did? They obeyed their father. But everybody else was doing it. Oh, well, but they don't see anything. There's nothing wrong with that. Their daddy knew that there was something that was dangerous about alcohol. And dad said, I don't want you to ever touch it. And from generation to generation, they obeyed their dad. And God showed up and said, you know what? You obeyed your father. I'm going to bless you. And he said, you're not going to want a man to stand before me forever. I mean, you talk about a generational blessing that God placed upon that family just because they obeyed their dad and uh, stayed completely away from alcohol. Now, whether your dad tells you to or not, I've got to say there is a great blessing in store for you in your life if you will never, ever touch or taste alcohol. And I don't care how many believers out there would argue with me or call me old-fashioned I think that down deep they know that what I'm preaching and teaching is the truth. This was a city of scribes, and it was connected to Moses' father-in-law as well as these Rechabites. So we've got some things that we know about Jabez. We've got some things that we speculate about Jabez. But above all, we do know this, that the Holy Spirit tells us that Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. Brethren are naturally competitive, are they not? And brethren will frequently compete with one another who can have the best car and who can have the best income and the best house. And it seems like it's just natural for brothers to be competitive with one another. But Jabez didn't try to compete with his brethren and all of those frivolous things that didn't matter. Jabez beat his brethren in the category of being honorable. Now, every one of us has different abilities on how much money that we can make. I've got friends that, I mean, everything they touch, it just seems like they they end up making money out of it. Uh, From time to time, we'll be sitting around talking as a family and my wife or my daughter will, will, will make some, why don't we just do this? And they'll have some kind of scheme that, you know, we'll go buy this and we'll do this. And then when we're done, we'll sell it and get our money back. And, and I cringe because I'm like, you, don't you guys know me yet? None of that ever works out for me. Never. 
I mean, there is no, I mean, I know people that no matter what they buy, it just ends up turning a profit. They always buy low and they sell high. That never works for me. Maybe a couple times, but not usually. Jabez didn't care about those things. Jabez had control over the things that really, really mattered. And it's the same things, brothers and sisters, that we have control over. You can be as honorable as you want to be. And it sure looks to me like that God valued Jabez's honorability above everything else. Now let's take a look at the prayer. In appearance, the Jabez prayer seems somewhat selfish and self-centered. But God knows the heart. And you know something about God? He takes for granted that all men have a certain degree of selfishness and self-centeredness. How about the second of the great two great commandments? The first, love the Lord God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. But the second is love thy neighbor as thyself. And so God knows, I mean, even in that second greatest commandment, God takes for granted that you and I are going to be in love with ourselves. Now, God's right, whether we see it or not, but I think that every single one of us can observe and even look in the mirror and say, okay, God, you're not just right because you said it. You're right because we can 100% observe this in, in reality. We're all self-centered to a certain degree. And so you think about Jacob. Jacob was a man that outwardly, if he was your neighbor, you wouldn't know what to think of him. You would be thinking, what's he going to scam me for tomorrow? You know, you just wouldn't know what to think of Jacob. But there was something about Jacob that God saw that man couldn't see and that Jacob had this just tremendous desire for the blessings of God. And he would go to all kinds of levels in order to get the blessings of God. I think we can recognize that while we certainly don't need to follow the character of Jacob, we can certainly recognize the faith of Jacob, that he valued God's blessings in his life. And so Jabez here was a man somewhat like Jacob, only he was honorable, but he valued God's blessings. Now in his prayer, look with me at verse number 10. It says that Jabez, number one, called on the God of Israel. The God of Israel. Names are more than titles. They are descriptive and they require an understanding to be effective. They're not part of any magical incantation. How about Acts 4.12, where the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in, in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Listen, the name of Jesus is the name by which every single one of us, if you're saved, you are saved by the name of Jesus. But it's not a magical incantation. Because you can name the name of Jesus and you can pray in the name of Jesus, 
But if you are not understanding what that name represents and who that name actually is, then just that name coming out of your mouth is going to do no good whatsoever. In the book of Acts, you had you had men, the, the seven sons of Sceva who said, we they're, they're trying to cast out devils. And they said, we adjure you by, by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. But they didn't know Jesus. They didn't understand who Jesus was and what that name represented. If we're going to pray, if we're going to call upon the God of Israel, if we're going to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, it is imperative that we understand why would Jesus... Why would he answer my prayer? Why would he hear my prayer? Who is he and where is he? Do you know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in the third heaven? Do you know that the Bible teaches us that he is our mediator, our go-between? Do you know that he is our propitiation? He's the one that when God looks down upon us, I mean, in spite of all of our past, in spite of all of our filthy sin that has stained our lives and stained our souls, when, G- when God looks down upon us, He sees His Son, Jesus Christ, and that is that, that has a propitiatory effect. It means God can look down upon us with favor and with blessings rather than in condemnation and wrath. Thank God for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that is our propitiation. Not only that, but Jesus is our advocate. I mean, just as if he was our attorney in a court when we are getting ready to be convicted and thrown in the slammer, Jesus stands up and he says to the righteous judge, a holy God, and he says, look, um, my son here, he, he, he deserves for you to throw the book at him. He deserves everything that the law says that he should get. But look at these nail prints. Look at this hole in my side from the spear. I paid his price. And you know what the judge has to say? The judge says, let him go free because the price of the law has been fulfilled. That's our Savior That's why it's more than just an incantation when we pray that prayer. There's nothing magical about the sinner's prayer. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, you can get saved by praying that prayer. But only if you are praying it in genuine, heartfelt faith that, Lord, I am a sinner and I deserve your judgment, but I believe in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And that he resurrected the third day. All of those things are necessary for understanding. It's not just that the name Jesus comes off of our lips. Jabez called on the only true God, but he understood a thing or two about God. You know, Hebrews 11, verse number 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hey, don't let the devil trick you into this false humility of thinking, well, I'm just not worthy of God doing anything for me. Well, who is, pray tell? Are you worthy of God's blessings? Are you worthy of God? I'm not worthy of God's blessings. I mean, on my very best day, and I've had good days and I've had bad days. 
I've had days where, I mean, I'm in the hall of fame and I've had days where I'm in the hall of shame. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ because he was sinless and he never had a, he never had a bad day. He never had a sin. And so because of that, we can come to God believing that God wants to bless us because God is good. And that is the entire nature of faith, is believing and trusting that God wants to do something for me that I want Him to do. And you know, faith, we are saved by faith. And we've got to believe and we've got to trust that God wants to save us. The devil will do everything he can to put you in a whirlwind of confusion. Well, I'm sorry for my sins. Well, the devil will come along. Well, you're not sorry enough. Well, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm under conviction. Well, it's not Holy Ghost conviction. I mean, he'll just cause all kinds of confusion. You know, well, I, I called upon you to save me. Well, you, you, what about your motives? You know, oh, he'll just cause all kinds of confusion. And you know what you have to do? You just have to trust God at his word and trust that he's a God of integrity and love and that he wants to bless us and that if we come to him, just like Jesus said, he will in no wise cast out. So Jabez called upon the God of Israel. Secondly, Jabez said, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. You know, that word, oh, denotes some passion, does it not? I've had times when I've prayed. Sometimes I've said, Dear Jesus, I come before you. And then I've had other times where I didn't say, Dear Jesus, I come before you. I said, Oh, Lord. I've had times where I've prayed with my face and my hands laying on the floor, and all I could say was, Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I mean, the hurt, the heartbreak, the passion. There comes a time when we're not just saying some little canned prayer. Jabez was not saying some canned prayer. He wasn't saying some vain repetition. He was passionate about what he said. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. You know, to be blessed indeed... Uh, we have a lot of different things that we enjoy as God's blessings. I, you know, air conditioning is a blessing, is it not? Yeah, I love air conditioning, especially in July. I was inside, I got ready for church. My wife had to be here early to practice with the, the men that are singing. And so I came with Anna, and so I, I'm, I'm dressed in my suit. I got my long sleeve dress shirt on. I got my tie on. I'm inside the house, and the air conditioning's working just fine. The temperature's not hot, and I'm standing there waiting on Anna. Done that a time or two. Oh, hey, sweetheart, love you. And and I'm like just I'm pouring sweat. I just like I got sweat. My my sleeves are just. It's like what is going on. And all I can figure out is it's just July. So I love air conditioning. It's a blessing. But you know, there are a lot of things that we could say, you know what, that's a blessing and we can attribute it to God. But I don't think Jabez is talking about those general type things. 
Jabez is saying, oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. Jabez is looking past creature comforts. Jabez is looking past the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Jabez is looking for the real lasting blessings of God. He's looking beyond just having good health. How many times have you seen people have good health in in their 90s and then just waste it and not serve the Lord? You know, Jabez says, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. You know that God has some blessings for us in this day and age that we live? I thought about Acts 2, or excuse me, Acts 3 and verse 26, where Peter says, he's saying to the Jews, uh, he says, Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. What is that blessing? In turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Instead of being stuck in a sinful lifestyle, God sent Jesus Christ not only to save us from the consequences of that sinful lifestyle, but also to turn us away from that sinful lifestyle. It's called repentance, and it's lacking in the Christian church today. It's lacking among those that profess to be saved. It's lacking among those that are saved. You know, if we want God to turn this nation around, God's people are going to have to get back to the old-fashioned Bible-based subject and lifestyle of repentance. How can we pray God turn our nation around when we in our stubbornness and comfort won't let God turn us around? When's the last time that you were convicted by Bible truth and you actually did something about it? It should be a regular part of our lives, brothers and sisters. And how how is God going to help the next generation if this generation just stays in our stubbornness and we don't want to change? We don't want God's correction. God blesses us by turning us away from our iniquities. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Notice that in this day and age, what we're looking for are those spiritual blessings. Listen, you're better off to be blessed spiritually and be suffering economically and even physically than to be blessed in those areas and to be poor, spiritually speaking. Spiritual Blessings are blessings that will last a lifetime, and they're not circumstantial. Number three, Jabez said, and enlarge my coast. You know what Jabez really wanted? He just wanted more land. You know, the coast, the the children of Israel were given land as an inheritance and as an allotment. And when Jabez said, Lord, would you enlarge my coast? He's saying, I I would like for you to give me more land because more land meant more opportunity. It meant more potential. It meant more influence. It meant a lot more because the land to them, that was the most important thing that they could have. 
You know, in Deuteronomy 19 and verse number 8, the Lord has already told them, and I think Jabez understood this, that it was God's will to give them more land. And if the Lord thy God enlarge thy coast, as he has sworn unto thy fathers, and give thee all the land which he promised to give unto thy fathers, I think that Jabez understood that this was not a selfish prayer, but it was God's desire to enlarge their coasts. And I think that down deep, because Jabez was honorable, he's just wanting to see God do what God he knew God wanted to do to begin with. Have you ever went through a season in your life when it seems like you just haven't had your prayers answered for a long time? I've been through those seasons in my life. And it hasn't been that long ago that I went through one of those seasons where I pray and I pray and I pray. And I I was kind of joking with myself not too long ago. There was somebody that I was praying for that was sick. And, um, I mean, I prayed with, with, with heart and with passion, and I took that prayer request very seriously. And so I inquired a few days later, you know, are, are they any better? No, they're worse. And I go, oh, well, maybe you need somebody else praying for you. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but I went through seasons where it seems like God's just doing the opposite of what I'm praying for. And not too long ago, I, I, I had a serious time in prayer, and I said, God, I need a token here, Lord. I need a token. Would you please answer this prayer? You know, God answered that prayer for me. And that was important. That was special because it wasn't a prayer for me selfish. It was for someone else. It was a, it was a, a great need. And, and I, just, I, I just said, Lord, thank you so much. And, you know, he, he answered that prayer not according to my worthiness, I guarantee you that. But he answered it according to his grace, and I'm so thankful for that. The church is not looking for land in a kingdom. But folks, we do need to enlarge our coasts. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 32, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. I think I've shared this years ago, but I, uh, I'm thankful that God, I'm thankful for a pastor's heart. Sometimes a pastor's heart can be like a two-edged sword. It's a blessing, but then sometimes, sometimes it hurts having a pastor's heart. But I'm thankful that God has given me a pastor's heart, but I haven't always felt that way. I remember earlier in my ministry that, you know, being a very introverted person, uh, growing up uh, in many ways, just kind of um, uh, spent a lot of time alone growing up, and not what you would consider a people person. And I would say, Lord, I can't believe you put me, made me a pastor or put me into the ministry because I don't necessarily like people. <laughs> I love people, I care about people, but, uh, you know, I, I'm just, that's, I'm being honest with you. Well, I hope I'm always honest with you. I'm being transparent with you. I, I just, Lord, I'm not a people person. And I remember coming across this and I said, Lord, if you want me to be a pastor, 
if I'm going to be effective, Lord, uh, I need a bigger heart. I need you to enlarge my heart. I remember praying, Lord, you said if I lack wisdom, I could ask of God. I said, you, but you also said that charity is the most important thing. You said that charity never faileth. I said, Lord, you never said in your word anywhere that I should ask you for charity, but if I can, if I can ask you for wisdom when I lack it, and I recognize the fact that I lack charity, Lord, I'm asking you for charity. And you know that God has always answered those kind of prayers, but it's usually with a series of heartaches. It's usually with a series of troubles and trials that God has put me through that were unpleasant. But when I got through them, I could say, God, I'm different because of what you allowed into my life. And you've answered my prayer. I I now have more compassion toward people. I now understand where people are at. And I thank you for that. And I don't, I, I don't regret any of those prayers that I've ever prayed, even though um, it didn't always produce what you would outwardly consider God's blessings. How about Luke 17, verse number 5, the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. That's an enlargement of our coast. That's faith is what God has given us and granted us. How about 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 6, where Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Hey, how about a, a prayer to God like Jabez and say, Lord, increase, Lord, Lord, um, enlarge my coast. How about an increase in people that we are influencing to get born again or to become part of God's family, to become part of God's fellowship. Hey, how about if if every one of us prayed that prayer and said, God, enlarge my coast and give me an increase. And we were able to look out here in this congregation in years to come and see new families and new people that are a responsible or are, are a response to our prayer that God enlarged our coasts. These are the kind of things that we should be praying for. How about Ephesians four sixteen, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working. And the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love. That's not talking about more people in the church. That's talking about the church being healthier and more effective. Not just a social religious gathering, but where we are edifying one another in love. That far exceeds social. Listen, uh, this day and age of Christianity, it seems like we are way too satisfied with social. Oh, just getting together and enjoying one another's company. You know, there is something about Christian fellowship. Street ministry yesterday, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I got to be honest, I don't know if my efforts did any good for anybody that drove by and read my sign. Because to be quite honest with you, I wasn't even paying any attention to the people. I held my sign faithfully. 
There were plenty of people that drove by and saw it, but I was kind of making my rounds, and there was a couple brothers here in the church that I was able to stand there, and we were able to talk about the Bible and talk about some things that are important, and I thoroughly enjoyed that Christian fellowship. It edified me because we were fellowshipping around the things of God, the things that really matter, and we got to get the gospel out while we were doing it. You know, I love burgers. I love hot dogs. But that's way more edifying than getting together and shoving a burger in my face and telling funny stories. I'm not against that. Don't get cold on me this morning, folks. I'm not trying to take your burgers and hot dogs away from you. I'm just simply saying that we need to be a little more spiritual and fellowship-minded rather than just being socially gathering people. Number four, he said that thine hand might be with me. I, I like this part of his prayer. I really like this part. That thine hand might be with me. In Ephesians, excuse me, Exodus chapter 33, it's a story of Moses talking about going into the promised land. God's talking to him. He's talking to God. And... Um, it says in verse 14, and he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And then Moses, in response to God, it, he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? You know what Moses is saying? All of this wandering in the wilderness, all that we've hoped for, all that you brought us out of Egypt for, Lord, a land flowing with milk and honey, our own place, our own property, these are very, very important to us. But God, if you don't go with us, there's no point. We don't even want to go. Not even worth it. You know what, folks? I would rather have a handful of people in the presence of God than a huge congregation without His presence. And that's the honest truth. The presence of God, you can't manufacture it, you can't organize it, you can't administrate it, you can't fake it. You either got it or you don't. Jabez knew that he needed it, and he prayed passionately when he said, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and that thy hand would be with me. And then look at the last thing that he said here. He said in number five, that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. I guess there's that selfishness there that it might not grieve me. I know that I prayed many times before I got right with the Lord and asked God to forgive me because my sin was grieving me. I can remember many times when my sin caused me pain and suffering, and I would say, oh, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. And I was all I really cared about was my own grief. And it wasn't until it really hit me, and I, the Holy Spirit had to have gotten through this thick head when I realized that my sin was causing Him grief. 
causing Jesus grief. It was only then that God led me where I was able to repent and turn around. But certainly, there is something about when our sin causes us problems that it wakes us up. Uh, That's just human nature, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes the chastisement, sometimes the punishment, sometimes it's not until we suffer the consequences of our sin that we actually are able to find the ability to leave it alone and to move on. Our God makes provision for our sins. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But He also makes provision to keep us from sin. Jesus said when we pray in Matthew 6.13, He said, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How often do we pray, God, please, Lead me away from temptation. I can't handle it. We need to stay humble in prayer. Romans 13, verse number 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Hey, we've got to understand that this old nature, the lusts that are inside of us, that we can't handle them. We've got to flee from them. We've got to protect ourselves from them. Because Satan will lay traps for us. We've got to make sure that we do everything we can to stay away from the lusts of the world that, uh, I mean, align themselves with our natural carnal lusts and all it takes is just the right scenario and all of a sudden, what do you got? You got sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But God says, don't make any provision for it. Manage your life in ways to where we keep ourselves away. You know what your temptations are. You know the things that entrap you and entice you. Figure out a way to keep your distance. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. How about Galatians 5.16? This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All of these elements of Jabez prayer, I think would be really, really good if we would incorporate them into our own prayer life. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast, and that thy hand might be with me, and that thou shouldest keep me from evil that it might not grieve me. All of these are wonderful prayers, and we ought to, we ought to be honorable like Jabez and make these part of our heart. And notice in conclusion that the Bible says, and God granted him that which he requested. He got what he asked for. He prayed the kind of prayer that God wants to answer. In John 16, verse number 24, Jesus says to his disciples, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Just like Jabez figured out that there are some things that God already wants for him, and he began to pray and to seek for those things, and what happened? He got what he asked for. In the same manner, we need to ask the Lord Jesus Christ for the things that really matter so that our joy may be full. 
I've never seen a generation of Christians lacking joy more than I'm seeing today. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the last five years. There's a lack of joy. People are frustrated. People are stressed. And life is just pressure. People are depressed. There's all kinds of things that are so typical among God's people. Maybe, just maybe, we need to be smart enough and wise enough to take a step back and say, Lord, life's not working for me. Where did I go astray? What am I missing? Perhaps maybe we are valuing some things that God doesn't value. Things like comfort. Things like entertainment. Things like that are just frivolous that really when it's all said and done will mean nothing. Because they're not bringing us happiness. They're certainly not bringing us joy. Maybe we need to step back and say, let's, let's quit living our life with this fool's gold and let's get the real stuff. We need to get serious about God and serious about prayer. We need to stop being double-minded and passionately call upon God to hear us and to answer our prayers. We need to understand what He values and what He desires to do in our lives. And I close with this passage of Scripture. It's found in 1 John chapter number 5 and verse number 14. And this is the confidence. Jabez had it. This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us, and we know that He hear us. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. I haven't heard all of the messages on the prayer of Jabez. I haven't read every book on the prayer of Jabez. But one thing that I can say is the things that have been presented you here this morning are according to the Scripture. We need to incorporate the same things in our prayer and in our life as this honorable man named Jabez lived a life of sorrow. Not everything went his way, but boy, for God to say this about him, that he was this honorable, and he prayed the right prayer. And God gave him his heart's desire.